Today's episode of The Sellouts is brought to you by GameTime. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Big Ten tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with GameTime, the ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. GameTime is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or on Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score last-minute tickets. Memorial Stadium. Since 1962. Since 1962. A sellout crowd. A sellout crowd. All sold out. Hey, we sold out, but we still save you a seat. The sellout with Mitch Sherman and Max Olson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Sellouts. I'm Mitch Sherman. Max Olson is with me. We write about college football for The Athletic, and it is officially the midpoint of the season on a national level. For Nebraska, of course, this is a bye week. The Huskers are seven games in, five remain. So mathematically, we're past the halfway point, but you get the picture. So on the show today, we are going to hand out midseason awards. We're going to offer some predictions for the rest of the year. We'll talk about some stuff nationally, perhaps the college football playoff, the Heisman, wherever the conversation takes us, get you ready for week eight of the season, the second half of the year. And we've got some questions, Max, in our Ask the Sellouts segment. So um, beautiful. I'm out of yeah, I'm out of town on assignment. How uh, how are things in Lincoln? Uh, things in Lincoln are, uh, are solid. Do you have any, uh, NFL games coming up that you might be going to tonight? As a matter of fact, I am going to an NFL game tonight. Uh, oh my gosh. I'm going to go watch the Chiefs and the Broncos play a little, a little football <laughs> here in, uh, here in Denver where I'm, where I'm stationed, uh, as we speak. That's gonna see, awesome. Uh, going to see Andy Janovich, uh, ex-Nebraska fullback and playing with his, with his new contract and, and, uh, I don't know. Maybe I should wear my Gretna football shirt. What do you think? Can, can I make a uh, Can I make a embarrassing confession to you here? Yeah, I've absolutely. never been to an NFL regular season game. You know, it's hard for writers who cover college football to get to NFL games. I've been to I've been to a couple, but uh-huh. I mean, really, with our job, we're at football on a Saturday. Like we're going to bed pretty we, late on Saturday. Right? Are we going to a game? Yeah, going to a game on Sunday is not really a, a natural thing. It's, so. a, it's a tough swing. I, I've been to one preseason game way back in the day. It was like it was in San Diego. <laughs> it was like Chargers Packers. Uh, Rogers was was not even the starter for the Packers yet. Um, so that's how long it's been since I've been in an NFL game. So I'm uh, I'm I'm definitely uh, envious of uh, the night you have ahead here. Yeah, I mean Thursday night makes it makes it work for me, um, and nice also that Nebraska's off. And I, I is, it, know, a, is to, it a cold one? Is it a cold night game there? No, it's supposed to be eighty. It's supposed to be eighty in Denver today. So oh, goodness, t shirt t shirt weather. I'll probably chill off a little bit. You know, the mountain air at night. But no, it'll be great. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing Patrick Mahomes and uh, if the Chiefs can get back on track. So totally. Let's get let's get to our our midseason midseason review. We're gonna go through. A number of categories here, and, and both give our uh, our feelings. You know, and and this is midseason review week at the Athletic. You can find reports on 
all of the teams that we cover day to day, and then a number of other features um, from our national crew covering midseason stuff, like, for instance, Max's freshman and redshirt freshman All-America team that posted earlier this week. Of course, we've got a um, an all-class All-America team mm-hmm. and um, you know, lots of good stuff. It's been a good yeah, week. Yeah, the, the, the breakdowns athletic. of all the teams out there are, are really thorough, so I hope people will, will go check those out, especially the Big Ten ones. Yeah, and we've got one on Nebraska, so some of that I'm going to get more into here, and I want to hear your takes on all of these topics too, and a few a few new topics that are not included in the print edition. So if you're listening, stay tuned, and and uh, we'll get to even more than what I did in my article. So I, I want to start with the most valuable player for the Huskers. Um, I'm going to let you go first on this one. Um, I have uh, I have a little I'm going a little bit different direction on on, on my most valuable player, but uh, interested to hear what you have to say. So I actually tried to not look at the picks you made for these in print, just so just so we didn't say that it may actually lead to us saying the same thing more. But I didn't want to copy you at all. So uh, I'm actually going to say Wandale Robinson, and, and that's no offense to Adrian Martinez. Obviously, we saw how valuable he was when they didn't have him against Minnesota. Uh, but I think Wandale has been the one who's really come through for them in big spots. I, I, he, I think. What he was able to do against Illinois, and you know the catch he made late against Northwestern, um, he he's really responsible for uh, their two Big Ten wins. And so, even as they're still kind of trying to figure out how to get him involved and um, and and how to best lean on him, um, I, I think he's he's shown a ton of value through the first half. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going away from the offensive side because I think the defense has been the most valuable part of the Nebraska team this year. Mm-hmm. Fair. The, the, the most recent game notwithstanding, that was a game where the defense came out and, and just didn't perform to its level. But the defense has won a couple of games for this team, and I went through the defense and tried to think, all right, who is the guy that has been most valuable for Nebraska? And I, I ended up coming down to – coming down to Darian Daniels and Cam Taylor Britt. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually going with Cam Taylor Britt as my MVP at this point. I think he's been really a, um, a, a, you know, a a glue guy for Nebraska on defense. And I think if you take him out of that defense, considering the injury that Nebraska had in week one to Deontay Williams, you know, that secondary is in a lot different shape. And, you know, look, there were problems defensively for Nebraska last week against Minnesota and it involved every level of the defense. And Cam Taylor Britt had his problems, like everyone else did. But if we're looking at this from a but, seven, but they game, also got absolutely yeah. no run support from their offense in that game, too. Right, right. And if you're looking at this over seven games, I mean, the defense has been better than the offense, and I, I think he's been he's been at the top of the list of players who have helped make that thing go. So um, probably not what what would be at the top of a lot of people's lists, but he's my MVP for Nebraska so far. Biggest surprise is our next category. What do you got? Uh, for me, I guess you just kind of the umbrella term here of like offensive production. Um, I, I think going from um, 30 points per game to 25 is is something that none of us saw coming. You know, I think we we thought they'd be able to move the ball with, with more ease, not, not less this season. So um, I, I think that, that's the that's the real concerning part, and I guess on on the flip side, I'm with you. Like biggest surprise, Nebraska's defense has, has um you know kind of helped carry this team more than we probably uh, expected them to. I I think the the question marks were were certainly flipped when we when we began this season. 
Yeah, you know, in the in the uh, in the print version of this, we did a best surprise and a worst surprise, and I kind of slid my best surprise right into this biggest surprise category. Mm-hmm. So, and again, it's hard to see this, I think, and think about it right now after the last game. But Nebraska, you know, had a real question coming into the year at what was, what was going to happen at inside linebacker opposite Mo Berry. There wasn't anybody <coughs> there with experience. Um, you had Nick Henrich coming off of an injury in the sure. spring. Who it was a guy that was expected to play as, as a true freshman, and I think the job for most of the season that that Will Honus and Colin Miller ha- have done is is commendable. And it's it, you know it's a surprise in the sense that it wasn't expected for me. You know, Wandale was a consideration here, mm-hmm. but I really expected him to be close to the player that he is. I did not expect that Will Honus uh, and Colin Miller would give Nebraska as as consistent of play as they did in the first six games. Game yeah. seven was a mess for them and for everybody on the defensive side, but I think they were pretty totally. good in the first half. Yeah, yeah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, breakout player. You know, for me that one's easy. It's Wandale. You know, I I just mentioned that in the last answer. He's been everything that Nebraska expected he would he would be in more. And and I think if he's not able to come back from this from this uh, ankle injury in in real short time, um, it's a big big problem for for Nebraska. Who who do you have? Yeah, and that's why I went with him for most valuable. Just because as we've talked about a bunch, this offense has just become so dependent on one person, whether it's him or Maurice Washington, depending on week to week. Um, I, for me, the breakout player, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going Cam Taylor Britt. Um, you know, certainly has had a little bit of ups and downs here and there, but I think he's the guy that plays like they want all 11 of their guys on defense to play. You know, really disruptive, no fear of failure. Um, a, a guy who has caught on quickly for being such a young player. And, uh, you know, I think that. You know, if you can get more guys like him on that defense, uh, I think the the long term prognosis is is pretty good. Yeah, you know, I like that, and I mean that we just kind of uh, switched our opinions there, and for sure, as far as the definition for MVP and, and breakout. What about best moment or play? Um, I I went with Lamar Jackson's interception against Northwestern because I think it was it was so huge in the in the. Of course, the way that that game ended, mm-hmm. but also in, and we'll see over the next five weeks if Nebraska can get itself to bowl eligibility. But if 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 they do, and they're practicing in December, and they look back on something that that got this team over the hump, um, I, I you know I think thirteen to ten win over Northwestern when your backs were really against the wall is going to stand out as a moment there, and that was the biggest play to me in, in that game. Yeah, for sure. I, I I'm I'm with you on that. I I would I would you know I'd go with the Lane McCallum kick just because of of all the um, emotional baggage that that Husker fans have carried all season long about the kicking game, and uh, you know as we joked about a bunch on this pod, like of course it comes down to a kick um, in in a very yeah. tight game that hasn't gone the way they wanted in in a lot of ways. Um, so that kick uh, by the local kid, you know, it, it's it's really cool. The in-state kid, I should say. Uh, I, runner up for me, I, I think the uh, uh, you remember the Maurice Washington touchdown against Colorado, just on the swing pass, the the one play drive. Yeah. That that yes. one uh, right after the you know the, the, I, I remember yeah. right after right after they scored right. It was right after the ninety-six yard pass um, that Stephen Montez threw. That's right. That really, that really just like electrified the stadium, and it looked like Colorado was going to come back and and just overtake Nebraska. And and the Huskers, uh, they got the seventy-five yard swing pass from Mo to to uh, 
you know, to keep themselves in good position at that point in the game. For sure. I, I, I remember talking with Bruce Feldman, who was, was on the sideline for that game, and he mentioned that you kind of felt a, a whoosh when, when Washington runs by you here on, on that play. He's, you know, he, he, he can be the fastest dude on the field um, when he's healthy and, and when they get him in space. And uh, certainly both of those qualifiers have been, have been tough to, to attain at, at, at various times this season. But uh, I think you saw the potential for this offense on that one. Yeah, right. And I had that. I had that as the best play in our in our print version. And sure. um, you know, right along with along with the play, the swing pass, the or I'm sorry, the shovel pass, the 49 yard pass. Um, again, oh yeah. Again against Northwestern from uh, from Adrian to uh, to Wandale Robinson. Now that didn't result in any points, but uh, the um, of course the 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 uh, the Washington play was was uh, was to the house, and that put Nebraska up 24 14 in that in that game. So. Things were looking pretty good. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, a good call for for best moment. What about your biggest regret or or what if moment um, through seven games? Hmm. I. I mean, certainly, like I think a lot of people would have loved to see Nebraska be a lot more competitive with Ohio State. I don't, I don't really think if you played that game, you know, ninety nine more times, it would have gone a whole lot differently. Uh, I, I I point to the third quarter of Colorado game, uh, up yeah. by seventeen. You know, you've got to put your foot on the gas and, and finish the job there. And, and this is a team that hasn't played very well in third quarters this season. And I think that, you know, pulling off that one, I think would have been a big step. Um, and then I think maybe a more big picture one is you just look back on going into the season. I think they needed to find a more um, dynamic kind of big bodied wideout in the transfer portal. Uh, clearly, that's you know the the absence of Stanley Morgan has been has been felt through through this point in the season and they, they needed more help there. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, you know, a little bit outside the box and thinking about what could have happened if Nebraska had been aggressive about finding somebody. You know, and that's not to somebody, knock kind of I know. Yeah, it's just right. he is he hasn't proven to really be exactly the guy that they've been missing in that offense. Yeah, I mean, he's done some little things like he he laid a great block on that play that that we just talked about with with the Washington on the 75 yard run. And he's out there. Um, you know, doing things to help Nebraska on offense when the offense is productive, you've seen him on the field, even if even though he's not been catching passes. So, I, I don't think that it's been you know a, a you know a bad uh, a bad get for Nebraska with Noah. Mm-hmm. Probably not what the the same. I think the importance goes beyond what the numbers would indicate. But yeah, I mean, if they were going to go pursue somebody and they had it to do over again. I think they would be more aggressive in trying to find somebody who was six two or taller, and uh, yeah. I, you know I don't think you're going to get coaches sense. to say that at this point. But um, you, <laughs> hey, you can nothing see you can do about their... that now. But for, yeah. for sure, yeah, it's yeah. it's probably an eye opening thing that that uh, I'm sure they'll be a little bit more mindful of as they go through this next off season, and I'm sure there'll be a million players to choose from. Well, you can see it in their recruiting right now, as they you know in, as far yeah. as who they're targeting even in the junior college ranks to try to get somebody to come in right away and have size at the receiver spot. And, and I think Xavier Betts um, as a, as a commit uh, for Nebraska out of Bellevue West, who's the top player in the state of Nebraska on the prep level this year is, is that kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. So if they can get him you know, into school and, and he makes it academically that uh, you know, that's somebody who can help shore up what, what we just talked about there. So uh, defining stat is our next category. And I, I went with the same thing, of course, that I picked in the in the print version of this of this uh, 
topic. Nebraska's given up 1,068 rushing yards in Oof. four Big Ten games. That's 267 Oof. yards a game, and that's just not going to fly over these next five games if they want to uh, if they want to uh, you know to win more than half of these or even two of these, which is what it's going to require to get to a bowl game. So 267 yards a game rushing in Big Big Ten play for a little bit of perspective, and I think it's it's obvious from that number just how ugly it is. Wisconsin this season yep. has given up 268 yards, so one yard more, in six games. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and you know, that's we don't right. need to that's be from, reminded that's from this week's stop yeah. right post. Yes, yeah, so we don't need to be reminded that uh, that the Badgers are coming to Lincoln in a few weeks. That's a good one. Um, you- I, I just think of, of a pretty simple one offensively. Um, you know, Nebraska has gone three and out on, on 30, 37% of their drives this season. Um, and that, mm. that puts them in the bottom 20 nationally. And, uh, I think when you, you think of the combination of Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez, that, that shouldn't be possible, you know? So, um, it, it, I think that kind of speaks to the difficulty they've had of putting drives together and of, and of really getting things going. Um, uh, and then something, something that's a little bit less quantifiable. Um, Nebraska has to be leading the country in the number of kickers on their roster that they might need. <laughs> that is a defining stat for sure. Yeah, there's been, I mean, they and were. I, I can't even re- keep up with all the names because they, they, they add more over the course of the season and, and some travel and some don't. And, you know, where are you, Barrett Pickering? I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's, been a, uh, a, <laughs> it's been a rare deal this year so far. I'm sure this bye week has brought a few more kickers into the fold for Nebraska. That, uh, I would hope Matt so. Waldock, yeah, Matt Waldock, uh, the the latest to travel with Nebraska, was there in Minneapolis and appeared ready to kick. I think he was probably going to be the guy if they had a field goal to kick in that game. Did not kick a field goal in that That's game. True. Uh, the one extra, yeah, the one extra point was handled by Lane McCallum. But from what from watching warmups, it looked like Waldock was going to be the guy, and he would have been the fifth kicker to appear in that role for Nebraska this year, not including Barrett Pickering, who was the returning starter as a sophomore. So it's been wow. a mess, and maybe Pickering can be back for Indiana. You know, we'll we'll find out next week. How about the most important game left on the schedule? What do you, what do you uh, what do you see? I mean. It- this might be a little bit of a cheat, but I mean, it's it's the next two. I mean, it, it's Indiana and, and Purdue. Um, yeah, that's, they're they're that's at a position a, the here where out. I mean, come on, they they can win both or they can lose both. I mean, we wouldn't be surprised by either by either outcome. So now it's like, you know, certainly playing well against Wisconsin it would be a big deal. Don't get me wrong, um, and 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 I think that upsetting Wisconsin would would be huge for getting some momentum. But um, I, I think the games that come before it. You know, like now is the time to show some pride. Yeah, you know, it's hard to know how important a game is going to be until you know what the context of that game is. I mean, if Nebraska goes into the Iowa game uh, with four wins, you know, it's completely different than if it goes into that game with five or even six. So Mm -hmm. I just looked at it from more of like a 30,000 foot view and said, what opponent is most important for Nebraska to play well against that's left out there and to me that's Iowa just because of what it means to the program yeah you know what it means in this next recruiting recruiting cycle there are there are a number of players who are going to be deciding between now and signing day between Nebraska and Iowa and also in that next class of recruits where they're going to be picking a school 
uh, before the Huskers and Hawkeyes get together again in, in 2020. And hey, look, Iowa's won four straight in this series by an average of three touchdowns. Last year, Nebraska closed the gap. It was a three-point game in Iowa City. We've already seen a couple instances this season against Ohio State and Minnesota where things have flipped uh, as far as like a point differential from year to year mm-hmm. in a big-time negative way for Nebraska. And you know that may happen again against Wisconsin. I think it's more devastating for this program if it happens to Iowa. And if Nebraska is sitting there with five wins as Iowa comes to Lincoln on Black Friday, it's just a monumental game for everything that happens in in uh, in the in the uh, the uh, the short term progression under uh, under Scott Frost. And you could even say the long term progression. I think because yeah. year year two just needs to include a bowl game. You know, you know, it's um, interesting on that too. I just look, I'm just look, pulled up Illinois, or sorry, I just pulled up Wisconsin's schedule here. The context for when Nebraska plays them is going to be really, really interesting because if they can find a way next week to survive and beat Ohio State, then they play Iowa after that. It's like could there's a there's a chance that they're playing a Wisconsin team that is like top top four, top five in the country uh, coming to Lincoln. Yeah. Or there's a chance that they they lose to Ohio State and Iowa, and they're kind of reeling, and, and there's a chance to get them. You know, I'm I'm really curious to see uh, if the Badgers can sustain the the you know the best defensive performance like we've ever we we've seen in a long 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 time in college football through six games. Uh, can they sustain this through the next four? You know. Yeah, I think the answer is no, but I think Wisconsin's still going to be still going to be a lot, you know, well, obviously going to be a lot to handle for Nebraska. And I don't think they're going to lose both of those games. I mean, I think they're going to find a way to win one of those games. And clearly, Iowa, you know, would look like the the, the best candidate there. Sure. Before uh, Wisconsin comes to Lincoln, let's jump ahead to final record. What is it, what's what's it going to be? You know, and that's that's at the end of the day, that's end of the day, that's the biggest thing for this team. You know, can they get to six wins? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say Nebraska finds a way to win two more games and finishes the regular season at six and six. It's going to have to include a win in week nine against Indiana to get Nebraska Mm -hmm. to five and two. And then I think it's just slogging and slogging through the last five weeks, four games, finding a way to get one win. You know, maybe it comes against Purdue. Maybe they've got to wait all the way until Black Friday. But, you know, I I don't think this team will finish 0 and four if if it can get that win over Indiana. Yeah, I I'm going six and six as well. I, I think it's it's obviously going to require uh Adrian Martinez getting getting healthy, getting right, and and it, and it may require some heroics from him, you know. Um but uh I, I, I think they can I think they can get to six with what they have left. And then honestly for this for this program and, and the build up under Scott Frost, like just the that those weeks of practice before a bowl are, are are a big deal, and I know that's really cliche, but I think for this team to regroup at the end of the season and and go play a team, and maybe you catch a team that's that's uh, maybe a little bit bigger name that's got some guys sitting out, or or maybe you know maybe you get a chance to to get a, an impactful bowl game even at six and six. Um, would be curious to see what that looks like, but yeah, I think they can get to six. I, I don't uh, wouldn't call that a guarantee, um, but I think they can do it. Yeah, nothing's a guarantee with this program, as we've seen through through 19 <laughs> games under Scott Frost and and going back a number of years prior to that. Um, okay, that's it for our midseason awards. Want to get to some some national and Big Ten talk first. Let's just cover the Big Ten real quick. Max, um, huge game on Saturday night on ABC. Michigan 
number 16 in the country at Penn State. Is, is Michigan to a point now in this season where it can go on the road and challenge Penn State? We saw what happened the last time Michigan went out and, and played a top 10 team on the road, and it went very badly in, in Madison back in, in September. Uh, what, what, you know, has Michigan come far enough that it can, it can win this game and be a factor in the Big Ten race this year? Honestly, like I'm going to be really disappointed in Penn State if they can't take care of business in this one. Uh, I think this is uh, this is a, a, a great moment for them at, at home. Uh, game day coming to town, you know, night game, whiteout, all that. Um, this sets up perfectly for Penn State. This is a Michigan team that uh, is is absolutely um, you know beatable. For, for I, I think Penn State, the the advantage they have in their pass rushers against Michigan's O line. Uh, makes a difference, um, and and I think um, you know if 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 they can if KJ Hamler can can shake loose and, and make some big plays uh, against Don Brown's defense, I, I I think Penn State wins this, and certainly that will lead to more you know kind of sky is falling talk out in in, in Ann Arbor, but um, you know maybe Michigan can get it done. I, I if they do though, I think that's Penn State blowing it. This is this is a great opportunity for them. What do you think? Yeah, with the way that Penn State has played, yeah, with the way that Penn State's played in the last uh, last few weeks, you know, really all through October, I, I, I agree. It's there for the taking. Michigan is there for the taking, and if Penn State's not able to not able to take care of of uh, a business, then I yeah, I, I think that's a huge disappointment for James Franklin and, and that program. I mean, Michigan is uh, is ripe. I think this week to be beaten yeah. by Penn State, and then and then Penn State is uh, you know is is really really a factor in this in this race. I mean, clearly you know Ohio State remains on the schedule, um, but uh, I you know I, I'm I'm probably more surprised with Penn State. Than any other team in the East, from a from a, a good or bad way. I mean, most of the teams in the in the East have been about w- what I expected. Ohio State is is maybe slightly better, mm-hmm. uh, Michigan slightly worse. But Penn State is a team that I thought might struggle um, this year without Trace McSorley, and, and you know it has it has come together well. Um, I you know I think James Franklin is 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 right there with Ryan Day as a candidate at the midpoint for for Big Ten Coach of the Year. So big one, big one uh, in um, for the Nittany Lions on Saturday night, and then a week from now you're going to have you know arguably the biggest game of the year in the Big Ten as as Wisconsin goes to Ohio State for for an early uh, an early game on Fox. So some big some huge games in the Big Ten that are going to really shape uh, shape both divisions and shape the uh, you know the rest of the season as a whole. Here yeah, looking at these, looking here the at the, uh, the 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 Penn State's FPI page on ESPN they they currently give them a chance a seventy eight percent chance of beating Michigan this week and if they can wow. do that you you take out you look at all the games ahead besides Ohio State gives them a thirty eight percent chance of winning out besides that Ohio State game so they could really put themselves in the driver's seat here uh, to to be you know one of the one of the most talked about teams in the country and and have a huge opportunity when they go to Columbus at the end of November there. Yeah, speaking of Ohio State, is is um, former Ohio State quarterback Joe Burrow your Heisman front runner at this point of the season? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, which is funny. I, I you know, did did you catch? Uh, there was I think there was a segment on on, on game day about him yes. last week. Did you catch the Nebraska reference during that? Yes, there's some Tom Rinaldi talk with uh, with Joe Burrow about his feelings on Nebraska and how he wasn't recruited by Nebraska. I think he asked Joe. 
and, and you know, I, I think most of our listeners know that Joe Burrow's dad is Jimmy Burrow, mm-hmm. who has a long history at Nebraska, coaches for Frank Solich at Ohio, and then um, and then his brothers, uh, uh, Joe's two brothers, Dan and Jamie, played at Nebraska. So Joe was not recruited by Bo Pelini and Tim Beck and that staff at Nebraska five years ago, right. four or five years ago. And uh, and then and then Beck got to got to Ohio State to coach for Urban Meyer and had to go had to go straight into into Joe Burrow <laughs> and Jimmy Burrow's living room and, and and try to bring him to Columbus, which he which he did. But that was that was an awkward uh, situation right. there. So Joe got into it a little bit with Rinaldi and, and didn't say a lot, but it was evident that you know, he didn't have a lot of feelings for Nebraska. You know, yeah, I think Rinaldi asked just, him, "Do you have anything you want to say to Nebraska fans?" and and he said, "No." <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and they, I remember, I mean, do you, you remember too at the time when he leaves Ohio State that I do remember there was some kind of speculation of would Nebraska go after him? And I re- remember people having strong feelings that uh, that might uh, kind of tamper with the, the investment you're making in Adrian Martinez and his development, which is an interesting kind of revisionist history now. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, at that point, Martinez had just gone through his first spring. He looked good. Nebraska had Tristan Jebbia. They were they were uh, fighting it out for the starting job ahead of last season. Um, you know, there was there was Luke McCaffrey on the way. I think Nebraska was already involved at that point with Logan Smothers, who's the QB commit for this this current class. And I think they wanted a fresh start, and and the coaching staff wanted that too. I, it does look a little bit different as you see Joe Burrow having the kind of year that he's having, and Martinez right. having the year that he's having. But I don't know that. Well, I mean, and, Joe Burrow and, is and in a good who knows, place. Maybe in that Joe offense. Burrow carries that grudge through. You know what I mean? Maybe if Nebraska calls right. him and says we really want you, he says, uh, "No, I, I <laughs> I'm not going for that." After uh, they blew me off the first time, I don't know. Yeah, it could be. It could be. He's my he's my favorite too. I he I, agree. I, I put him ahead of ahead of uh, Jalen Hurts on my on my my ballot after last week. Um, you know, and and maybe it was unfair to Jalen in watching that game. I you know saw him saw him with the two red zone red zone turnovers, but statistically sure. he was he was outstanding. So Hurts uh, at number two, and and Tonga Bailoa is my third guy. So I, I feel uh, like the the Tua Heisman push hasn't really happened yet. Like we've we've all kind of flirted yeah. with everybody else with with Burrow and Hurts uh, and Jonathan Taylor and all the other kind of in, intriguing guys out there. But at some point the the resume on Tua is is going to look pretty uh, pretty ridiculous here. So I'm curious to see if he catches up to everybody. Yeah, I think I mean clearly for him, it's about what happens against LSU and Auburn. Yeah, um, and uh, you know everything else is just a you know it's, it's just kind of a given for Alabama. You're, it's a given that Tua is going to throw four or five touchdowns every week. So you're right, you're right. His push I think is more in in uh, in mid to late November. So we'll see. Um, he's going to be a factor for sure. Hey, we have. Um, we have some questions in our Ask the Sellouts uh, All right. segment that we have sporadically brought to you in, on, our, on our Thursday pods. So um, this is a question from earlier this week from the Gov, and he wants to know what happened with Nebraska's wide receiver development. You know, it's, it's definitely, definitely a problem for Nebraska with this, with this coaching staff, with the program right now. Um, you've seen Wandale Robinson develop nicely, but I don't, I don't, and I think he came to Nebraska ready-made to play. Right. Um, otherwise, the, the, the only receivers that who have who have done much in the last two years uh, outside of Stanley Morgan um, are, are you know you got JD Spielman and then Cade Warner, who emerged again this last week at Minnesota. 
you know, what do you think it is? Anything in particular, Max, that you see when you look at the guys who play the wide receiver position and why it hasn't blossomed the way that people would have expected under Scott Frost and Troy Walters? Yeah, the the thing that's kind of bizarre about this, and, and you can just, I guess you can look at it and say the guys behind them, maybe they're just, maybe the talent level isn't where it needs to be to, to play at this level. I, I don't know. But the thing that's, that, that's bizarre to me is this is a staff that prides itself on everybody getting a ton of reps in practice. And... In, in trying to create you know trying to foster a really competitive environment so uh, they know it's a problem they've they've been talking about it all season of we're, we're trying to get guys to step up and um, you know I, I don't think it's a matter of the standard being too high I, I I think clearly these guys aren't doing what they have to do in practice to, to get on the field and and so Nebraska's left being pretty dependent on on just a few so uh, I, I would think that will change over time with with more recruiting but um, you know, so far definitely been a, a little bit disappointing that they don't have the depth of guys that, um, you know, that, that Scott Frost is used to having in these kind of offenses. I think that uh, they need to adjust a little bit in, in recruiting and in what they're, you know, what they're looking for from their receivers, the kind of roles that they want these guys to play. And, um, you know, I think Troy Walters needs to think um, a, a little bit, a little bit more broadly with his profile of a receiver. And you know, it's not That's as simple as as to say that Troy Walters was is an under was an undersized guy himself and won the Bolitnikoff Award, and you know went on and played well in the NFL for a number of years. So. I think it's oversimplifying it to say that he prefers those kind of players and goes after those kind of guys and identifies with those guys in recruiting. But um, that is, those are the kinds of players. Even Stanley Morgan is not a big guy. He's big in comparison to Spielman and Robinson. But um, I, look, they need to find some size at, at receiver. Right. And to me, right. that's, the biggest, that's the biggest inhibitor uh, when you look at what's happening with with the development of, of these players, so I think it, I think it requires Walters to kind of go back to the drawing board and recruiting and the and the, and the kind of players that you know that he can identify with and that he covets the the most when they when they set their board at the at well, the beginning. Of and, the cycle. and you mentioned it earlier, but it, it, it right now too for where they're at, it, it probably does take um, bringing in some JUCO guys who can help you right away while you continue to develop guys that that clearly aren't ready. Yeah, well, and it, we'll fin- finish it with this. Uh, Corey wonders about the breakdown of upperclassmen and underclassmen on the Nebraska roster, and he gives us some information about Nebraska's upperclassmen um, being a much higher percentage of the roster makeup back in the 70s, 80s, and mid-90s, so essentially all of Tom Osborne's career. And right now you look at it, and Nebraska has a huge number percentage-wise of freshmen, redshirt freshmen, sophomores. Um, You know, To me, it's pretty simple as to why that is the case. Stability in a program uh, prevents turnover Mm -hmm. within – uh, with you know within a, within a cycle of players, you know yep. transfers are, are 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 different today in the way that they behave. Players on the, on the transfer market, and it just leads to younger rosters. Um, how how important do you think it is, Max, that Nebraska gets more stability and and balances that out over the next two years, so that when you look at this roster in twenty twenty one, it's more of a fifty fifty split between young and old players. Yeah, no, it's 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 absolutely about coaching change, um, and, and I've seen that with a lot of programs that. Uh, there is this tendency that um, you know a couple different things happen when you have a coaching change. You, you have, um, like in Nebraska's case, you, you have this staff has to put together 
you know, a 2018 recruiting class on the fly, uh, you know, in December, uh, while, uh, you know, while they're still coaching UCF. And, and so those classes now with the moved up date for that, those classes are harder to put, those initial classes are harder to put together. Um, I, I think you have the, the, the broader problem of when, when a new staff comes in, there's, there's really an evaluation period where you kind of weed out the guys that you feel like can't play at this level, can't play in this program. And, uh, you know, when I think it's one man's treasure is another man's trash sometimes with the way coaches approach these things. And that's not to say Scott Frost has, has, has kicked a bunch of kids off the roster or anything, but it's hard to have a, a roster full of guys that are on kind of a four or five year development plan when a new staff comes in and has a different take on what they can or can't do for you. So I think when you have the same coach for, for four, five, six, seven years, and we're seeing the programs that are very successful right now, uh, this is, I think, there's a big reason for it. Uh, when when you have that coaching stability and you can put guys on a, on a five year plan and and follow through on it, and and not have to panic because you're losing your job, um, I think that makes a makes a big difference. And again, when we talk about Nebraska rebuilding, this, this just takes um, you can't just snap your finger. It, it takes time and it takes uh, patience, and it's going to be uh, tough at first. But I do think they can build back towards that where the roster composition. Uh, is 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 really where it needs to be if you want to have depth and be a lot more competitive. Yeah, yeah, that's a great explanation. So uh, thanks for the question. Good question, Corey. And uh, that, can we get to this uh, last one from Joe here? Should we? Should we? All right. I, yeah, we I, was, I was looking at it. I was looking at it. You you, you can read it. Go ahead. Okay. Here's the. I, I, What's I, the question? I think you have stronger takes on this, so I want to I want to get your take first, Mitch. Um, Joe asks, right. how can you think that QT and come and go? Are better than Casey's. Yeah, I've I've got I've got strong feelings that, but uh, I mean we're talking about gas stations here, so I, I um you know I'm I'm fortunate enough to live in an area of Southwest Omaha that has all three of these as as options. And oh, you're, I, I will you're go in, to K- in the uh, yeah. you're in the gas station triangle right there with your exit off I eighty. I, <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. And I will go and I have multiple options of of uh, of two of those two of those uh, um spots mm-hmm. uh only one qt near me which which was great that it, it it came to my part of town and it is my overall favorite in the gas station power rankings um as far as everything that you get inside of that store come and go um has some nice perks and, and casey's has the best pizza and that's and to me that's it that's all you get with casey's is pizza so i rank them qt one come and go to casey's three what what, what how do you go yeah, so so for so I okay, so when I've I when I've been traveling and I've been traveling a lot lately, you know, I I'm I'm driving from Lincoln to Omaha uh to to fly out and and coming back. Uh, do you know how many times I have stopped at at what is it? 439. Do you do you know how yeah. many times I have stopped at the QT on 439? Well, I hope it's like 16. The answer but... is every time. I stop there okay. every time, okay? <laughs> Whether it's going up or coming back, I stop there pretty much every time. Um that that brand new QT is as good as it gets and and it has my my strongest endorsement. Um when I lived down in Austin, we didn't really have QTs around. They were more in Dallas, not in Austin. So, uh I missed them and and I'm glad they're back in my life and and I'm still I'm still going through the process here of figuring out Casey's and come and go to be honest with you. 
Yeah, I mean, the QT's just got so many different options with the drinks and the, everything that's on. I mean, you can get iced tea out of the fountain. You can. There's just not enough space for everything. I mean, the coffee bar is outstanding. The, the food that they make behind the counter is good. They've got we these need little to, ice we need cream to get them things to that my this. kids Why like. Why are they not sponsoring our podcast? This is yeah. We're gonna, this we're is gonna bring this to their attention. Right we need to bring this to their attention that we're talking about this specific <laughs> location of QT at the intersection of I-80 and Highway 370. Um, it has our endorsement and we, um, you know, I can hit it just about every time on the way when I leave to come to, uh, to practice on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays. It, it seems you know, like what, we whatever. should just, it's, we should just do an episode on location from that QT. I mean, we're, we we're that passionate, we that, we're that passionate about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see if we can work that out. <laughs> uh, until then, thank you for listening today. Please come back and join us again. Subscribe to The Athletic, and you can get our Monday bonus episode in your Nebraska football feed or on the podcast sections on The Athletic app or website. Subscribe to the show. Please download the show, like the show, leave it a review. And thank you for listening this week. We'll be back on Monday to talk about Nebraska and Indiana.